me make sure I have a microphone in my hand here. <laughs> Y'all remember last week, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we have a lot going on in the church. I, I want to thank the Lord for bringing our, our young people back. They've been on a retreat over the weekend, and God bless y'all. They're still awake up there. They've had a, a really long weekend. I heard that there was a lot of decisions for Christ. So we praise the Lord for that. At least three saved. Amen. Right. Praise God. So we're, we're, we're glad for that. They all took a bow up there for y'all. I think you want to know. One Sunday, as they were driving home from church, a little girl sitting in the back of the seat said, Mommy, there's something about the preacher's message that I just don't understand. Mother said, well, what, what is it? The little girl said, well, he said that God is so big, bigger than we are. He's so big that he could hold the whole world in his hand. Mommy, is that true? I said, yes, that's true, honey. But Mommy, he also said that God comes to live inside of us when we believe in Jesus as our Savior. Is that true, too? Again, the mother assured the little girl that what the pastor said was true. With a puzzled look on her face, she said, Well, if God is bigger than us and he lives in us, wouldn't he show through? Hmm. Little girl had a lot of wisdom. We're entering into a series of messages on the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. This is a portion of the scripture in which is the Sermon on the Mount. We're only going to deal with the Beatitudes of that in these next several weeks. But that little story tells us what the Beatitudes are all about. God wanting to shine through us. So I want you to remember that story. I want you to remember the point of that story as we go through this series. Now, I'm going to invite you to stand with me, and we're going to read together the uh, first 12 verses. That's not how many we're going to be preaching on, but I want to read the first 12 verses um, from God's Word. Let's read that together. Seeing the crowd, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor and pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you may God bless the reading and the hearing of his word you may be seated it has always been God's purpose that he enter our lives. 
he would be, uh, that he would be allowed to so fill us and so control us that he would literally show through. That he would be visible in our attitudes and in our actions. Not that, that we should imitate Christ, although we do that, or that we should try to do the things that Jesus would do, although we do that. But the point of the Beatitudes is that Christ himself would be allowed to live through us. The Beatitudes are like a light bulb. You have a light bulb, you put it in the lamp, and you can turn that switch on and on, off and on, off and on, as many times as you want. If it's not plugged in to the power, it's not going to come on. In the same way, when what we are to be doing is be plugged in to the power of God, plugged in through Jesus Christ, and have his power shine through us. It's something like Jesus taught when he was talking about being engrafted into the true vine. We are to be plugged in to him. So don't try to act this way, the Beatitudes. Same thing goes for the fruit of the Spirit. Don't try to force that out. Don't try to pretend that you are poor in spirit or meek or merciful or pure. Because if you're plugged into God, these are going to be evident all around you. As, as humans, we are not able to keep the Beatitudes. No matter how hard we try, no matter, nobody can be like Jesus, like Jesus can be like Jesus. But by the Holy Spirit, he comes to live in you that he might be able to live through you. And, and so help meet the needs of our hurting humanity around us. And beloved, when he does, others are going to see the image of Christ shining through the veil of your flesh. Let me ask you a question. How would your life be different if Jesus were to come and take your place? What would it be like if he took your place in the home? How would your home be any different? On the job, if Jesus lived his life there, if that's where he was, how would your workplace be different? Teenagers, how would your school be different if Jesus were sitting at your desk every day? What if he filled this pulpit? How would our church be different? He came to live within me so that, as the Bible says, to mortify the carnal work of this body, to master the circumstances of my life, to manifest his character, and to minister to others who my life will touch from day to day. Now, knowing that makes me wonder, does anyone see Jesus showing through me? Well, if he did, I know what you would see. You would see what he looked like, and the Beatitudes are a self-portrait of Christ because he was poor in spirit. Now listen, he was almighty God. The whole time he was on the face of this earth, he was, all, he was almighty God. He had all the rights, all the privileges of deity. But the Bible says he made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant, and he made himself in the likeness of men. He humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus had these, these characteristics. He was poor in spirit. He mourned. 
Think back about Lazarus. When, when Jesus came and, and saw his family and saw his friends, saw that city, he mourned. The Bible says Jesus wept. When he came into Jerusalem that last time, he wept over Jerusalem praying for them. The Bible says he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He mourned. He was meek. He hungered and thirsted after righteousness. He was merciful. Measure the life of Christ by these qualities, and you'll find that he modeled everyone. And I'm convinced that this is not a description of the Christian man. This is a, a description of the man Christ. And as he was while on this earth, so we are to become as we yield our lives to him. So why are we going to study this over the next, this month? Well, the answer comes in the very first word of most of those verses. It's the word blessed. Jesus grabs our attention right from the get-go because we want to be blessed. Here's the better news. He wants you to be blessed. He desires that for every one of us. That word is a word that means fortunate, happy, well-off, privileged, Used in the way that Jesus uses it, it means that we are to be supremely blessed. That's what he wants. Is there anybody here that doesn't want that, does not want to be blessed? We all desire that. We would love to be supremely blessed. This is what Jesus says we can be and what we should be when we let him shine through us. There are just two things that we're going to see in our lives today, and then the rest coming. But today we're going to see three things that will, people will see when God shines through us. First of all, you'll see a happy person. Now, remember, this is the first sermon recorded in the New Testament coming from Jesus. And what a sermon it is. It begins with a promise of happiness. Nine different times the voice of Jesus reached out to this multitude seated on, the, seated on this hillside who were oppressed politically, socially, economically, and he gives them an offer of genuine happiness. That the word blessed is a common word, but Jesus used it in a very uncommon way. See, typically, this was a word that was used for the wealthy because they could enjoy a standard of living that uh, appeared to put them out of the reach of the cares of this life. Uh, don't let anybody uh, fool you. Happy, money can buy you happiness uh, for a short time. Uh, and, and at the end of that, the Bible says, comes death. But, but it, it can, it can, but you're miserable afterwards. This was a word that, that was used in that time to describe the Greek gods because they had the power to gratify their every need. It was a way of describing a state of contentment and delight that was reserved for just the very privileged. This world today gives us the popular um, but false concept of happiness. Blessed are they that are rich. Blessed are they that are famous. Blessed are they that are gifted. Blessed are they that are powerful. Now, I've seen too many of those shows that lottery ruined my life to think that 
being rich automatically makes you blessed. It just does not. And I, I know some very famous people who cannot stand their life because everywhere they go, people are taking pictures of them. Everything they buy, everything they eat, every time they pick their friends, you know. I knew it'd come. Happiness is a common desire. We all want to be happy. So, so there's so few people that seem to have it. So we put it in a category. We, we associate that with a four-leaf clover. We associate that with the uh, gold at the end of the rainbow or unicorn. Something that's unattainable. Something that's elusive. If happiness is linked with power, not everybody can have it. If it's linked with riches, not everybody can have it. If it's linked with pop popularity, not everyone can have it. And But yet here is Jesus telling this group of people who have endured a lifetime of verbal assaults by the scribes and the Pharisees. He's telling them they can be blessed, happy. This multitude must have thought they have died and gone to heaven. For some reason, many people look at the Bible and all they see is the negative. They, they emphasize the prohibitions, the curses, the judgments. And it leaves people with an impression that God is, has got the disposition of a dill pickle. Like he's some cosmic killjoy that just goes around and making sure your life is miserable. But parents, well, every one of you can identify with this. You see a child has a butter knife and they're going for the, the electrical socket. What do you say? Oh, go ahead. See, that's going to be fun. This is going to be fun. Let me get my camera. Wait. Let, no, we don't do that. We snatch them up and we say, don't do that. Oh, mommy, you just don't want me to have fun. You're just trying to ruin my life. That's what we say to God all the time. When God tells us, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. God's just trying to keep us from having fun. Child's running out into the middle of the street. Cars are whizzing by. We snatch them up. We yell at them. We scream, stop. That's what the word of God is. God yelling, stop. Don't walk that way. Don't do that. Because the end of that is going to make you miserable. So Jesus comes to this sermon and he paints a different picture of God. He shows them a God who wanted them to be happy. Who wanted them, who wanted to fill their life with satisfaction, with contentment, with, with delight. I don't know about you. I'm, I, I believe I serve a happy God. I believe I have a God that laughs. When Jesus was on the face of the earth, I can actually see him walking backwards, talking to the disciples as they're going down the road. Maybe telling a dad joke or two. No, that was before his time. He's a happy man. On this earth, God in heaven is a happy God. You may have a friend who likes to party and doesn't understand why you don't do it, why you go to church, and so they make fun of your lifestyle. Don't ever let anybody criticize you for serving the Lord. It is a wonderful life, and the best thing is, I don't have to wake up tomorrow feeling guilty. I don't have to wake up tomorrow with a hangover, feeling sick, and I actually remember everything I did the night before. All right, not so much now that I'm 65, but... Are you happy today? Are you happy 
Too many people spend their life saying, I'd be happy if. I'd be happy if I was married. I'd be happy if I was divorced. I'd be happy if I had children. I'd be happy when my children are grown and gone. We always got that if. They're looking for happiness in the wrong places. They're associating happiness with the wrong things. And I guess that people seldom see God showing through them. When God shows through, the world will see not only a happy person, but they're going to see something different. That's number two. They're going to see a whole person. Like I told you, the Beatitudes are a self-portrait of Christ. It is what we experience when God was living in the body of a man. And God's purpose, according to Romans chapter 8, 29, is that we all conform to the image of Christ. So it's true, it's reasonable then to say that the Beatitudes describe a quality that every Christian should exhibit. In other words, this isn't reserved for super-Christians. If you are born again, these ought to be a part of your life. They ought to be seen in your life. Every Christian should exhibit all of them. They're not a guideline for Christians to live up to. See, a guideline is a standard that you and I should strive to live up to. Mankind does not have what it takes to live up to, to reach the standards set by the Beatitudes. Sin at work in the heart of man makes them proud. Sin at work in the heart of man makes them pushy. It's in the presence of sin that it produces a hunger and thirst for what is unholy. Sin is a spiritual problem requiring a spiritual solution. The, the Beatitudes, they describe the evidence of a yielded life. They are not to be produced by the Christian, but in the Christian, and there's a big difference. You don't generate this. You allow the Holy Spirit to do that from the inside out. The Beatitudes, you displaying them, they tell others what they will see in a life that is surrendered to the Lord. You cannot make yourself poor in spirit, meek, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker. You can make yourself appear to be these things, but the people around you will see the hypocrisy of your life. So are you seeing a work of God in you if you do it's going to appear as a person poor in spirit but still hungering and thirsting after righteousness of the world do you think god will make me meek but yet allow me to have no mercy to have no compassion no see what we do is we try to grab one of these and say this is how i will live my life it's not going to work what kind of impression would people have of god if he worked by letting us pick and choose which ones we're going to follow. The Holy Spirit will not manifest one with a disregard for the others. If that's the case in my life, it's a sure sign that what people are seeing is a fleshly counterfeit, not a genuine spiritual work of God.
here's what I want you to understand this morning. The Beatitudes are not a standard for me to live up to, to achieve. The Beatitudes are a yardstick by which I measure my submission to the Holy Spirit. I do not spend my time worrying about whether or not I'm poor in spirit, meek, merciful, and all the rest. My focus is simply walking in the Spirit, being submissive to the Holy Spirit, being submissive to the Word of God. Because I know that if the Holy Spirit is in control of my life, He will manifest these qualities through me. The Beatitudes let me know if I am being hateful and vindictive because when that happens, it's a sure sign that I'm walking in the flesh. If I'm being driven by selfish ambition, then my, yield, my life is not yielded to Christ. When I envision being poor in spirit, what, what am I supposed to see? Here's what, here's what we do when we do it on our own. We see a person sulking and, and being somber. You know, um, like those paintings of, of Jesus just looking off into the distance. That, that's not being poor in spirit. That, that does not look like what Jesus looks like in the word of God. But Jesus was humble. He was sober. He had a right self-image of himself. We're not to think too highly of ourselves, the Bible says. That means we're not to think of ourselves less we're, we're, we're not to think less of ourselves. We're just to think of ourselves less and think of others more. We start by seeing ourselves in the presence of our holy God. Walking in his presence every day. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, he said, woe is me. When, Jesus realized, when, when Peter realized the deity of Jesus, he said, depart from me, I am a sinful man. When Saul, before he became Paul, he felt very spiritually wealthy. His attitude was, if anybody's going to be in heaven, it's going to be me. And then on that road to Damascus, he got a glimpse of the Lord. He saw the Lord. He became physically blind, but he was able to see spiritually for the first time in his life. And the result was repentance and salvation. We are to see ourselves as the sinners that we are, but we're saved in the blood of Christ, and we are a new creature living in the power of the resurrection of the Lord. To mourn is about our sin. We should be mournful over our sin. We're to see our sin the way God sees our sin. It ought to break our hearts just like it breaks his heart. To be meek means to be submissive. It's power under control. If you've ever seen the people trying to break a wild horse, they put in that, that, that bit in their mouth and they put that saddle and that horse is kicking and fighting the whole time. He does not want that stuff on. And then that rider, boy, what a knucklehead. He gets on the back of that horse and that horse bucks and kicks and, and, and you know, tries to throw him off. But soon that horse settles down. That horse allows that person to ride him. Now, is the horse any weaker than he was? No, but that power is now under the control of the rider. That's what God wants in you. He wants you to let him have control. Quit kicking against the goad. Quit kicking against his will. Quit kicking against his word. Let him have his way in your life. 
The happiest, most blessed people in the world are those who yield themselves to experience the grace of God every day. Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They shall be filled. They will obtain mercy. They will see God. And the better thing is others will see Jesus in you. They also lead the most fulfilled lives because God makes them into a complete person. I want you to do something with me this morning. Just mentally pull out a mirror. See yourself standing in front of a mirror. Look into it. What do you see? Do you see God controlling, filling your life? Does he see, do you see him showing forth through you? You know what he looks like? His portrait is in these Beatitudes. I want to give you an invitation this morning, Christian friend, church member, all, the, all those that are here. I want to invite you to give him lordship of your life, to give him control of your life, to quit kicking against the goads and surrender your heart to him. You say, well, I, I, I don't know if I can do that. Commit yourself today that you're going to give him your whole heart. I said, I'm saved. I know I've given him my heart. I said, your whole heart. God is knocking on your heart's door, Christian friend, church member, and he's saying, let me have this part of your life. Let me come in. I hope you'll come back every week as we study these Beatitudes. The greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever lived. This morning, give your heart to Jesus. Maybe you are here today and you, you don't have Jesus as your Savior. He wants to be. He loves you so much. He's wanting to come in. Whatever your decision is today, come and join this church. Come and talk to us about salvation. Come for prayer. Whatever your need is, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have in this Beatitudes, a portrait of who you are. And you want us to be conformed to your image. So God, as we talk about these from week to week, help us to see you shining through us as we surrender our all to you. Bless and minister to these, your people. God, do a mighty, wonderful thing in First Baptist Church. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, and as we sing, you come on this first stanza, whatever decision you have made for the Lord. And, they, and church members, come, and let's keep our church in prayer. Keep that pastor search committee at the top of our list. As we stand together and as we sing, you come today.